This is the morning brief from the Economic Times. Late last month, Google got into a very interesting tie-up with a small finance bank called Equitas. Google Pay now allows users to open fixed deposits in under 2 minutes without having to open a bank account. Starting with Equitas uh, Small Finance Bank, this scheme is available through Google Pay's spot platform and it is connected by APIs built by fintech infrastructure provider Setu. More recently, just a week ago, Amazon tied up with online wealth management firm Kuvera, enabling users of its Amazon Pay app to make investments in mutual funds and fixed deposits. These two developments, among many others, highlight the deep inroads that big tech companies are making into India's banking space. And that has the RBI worried. In its latest report has raised serious questions about the dominance of big tech companies like Google Pay and PhonePe over India's digital payment sector. To be sure, tech solutions and apps have made our lives easier and the way we handle money simpler. Complex transactions that earlier entailed multiple visits to banks balancing sheaves of credential proving documents on both hands has now been reduced to a couple of jabs on the smartphone screen but from physical banking to app based banking to now almost providing a digital market space for banking products from the initial spurt in mobile payment apps post demonetization to now a race between behemoths google amazon paytm and others to create a new powerful digital payments network the tech industry is gaining unprecedented control over how india transacts saves and invests its money and while these tech companies aren't actually handling your money they are gaining access to something way more valuable something they are really after critical data that helps them profile you and billions like you in terms of personal wealth earnings and expenses In other words, underlying the RBI's concerns is a possibility that tech companies may become more powerful than banks without actually being banks. In a recent piece, Bloomberg columnist Andy Mukherjee wrote, and I quote, "Banks historic moat has been breached by the tech giants. When the giants storm the fortress, even large banks will lose control of banking." End quote. Are we really approaching such a situation? We discuss this in today's episode of the Morning Brief. Good morning and welcome. I'm your host Anirban Chaudhary. The big defining moment and growth driver for tech companies with their digital payment apps was the government's demonetization move in November 2016. We have decided when a large chunk of cash was sucked out of the system and the unified payments interface or upi came into being legal tender from midnight to night before that there were largely fledgling tech enablers coexisting with or supporting banks in their own digital app based payments so the moment demonetization happened people realized that a large part of the cash economy could be moved to digital when suddenly after demonetization when the large value notes were sucked out of the system people realized that well they have to get on to this entire digital bandwagon so customers started downloading multiple apps and then upi really took on in a big way after some of these big tech firms came into the picture that was saloni shukla 
ET's tracker of monies, in other words, its banking reporter. The firms she's referring to included Paytm, PhonePay, which is now backed by Walmart, Google Pay, and Amazon Pay, among others. Prior to demonetization, we were 95% cash economy. And, you know, the digital economy now is like 20% of our economy. The cash has significantly reduced in our system. According to the RBI's latest annual report, the total turnover under the UPI scheme from FY17 to FY21 increased 594 times to rupees 41 trillion, slightly higher than the 2020 GDP of Belgium or Sweden. While still a minuscule chunk of total digital payments, it's the fastest growing payment mode. In the month of August alone, transactions touched a record high of rupees 6.4 trillion. Extrapolated for the entire year, it would total more than rupees 70 trillion, which would mean a 75% growth over FY21. 85% of the UPI transactions in August were done through PhonePay and Google Pay, making them the leaders in this space. And if it's possible, the space is heating up even more. Earlier this year, ET reported that Reliance Industries partnering with Google and Facebook has applied to the RBI to set up a so-called New Umbrella Entity, NUE, a new digital payments network planned by the Apex Bank. Envisaged as a parallel infrastructure to UPIs, it's one of the most ambitious projects in this space. An NUE license can help the entity gain greater autonomy in processing digital payments in India. Through it, a company will also gain a larger foothold in the financial services ecosystem through value-added lending and insurance services. Others in the race for the license include consortiums headed by ICICI Bank and Amazon, Paytm with Indusind Bank, as well as the Tata Group with HDFC and Kotak Mahindra Bank. Meanwhile, Google is diversifying itself as an enabler for other banking transactions, the most recent one being term deposits through tie-ups with small banks. In the example we started this episode with, Equitas has about 4 million customers. Just for perspective, the country's biggest lender, State Bank of India, has over 450 million. Equitas's deposits were more than rupees 16,000 crore at the end of FI21. At the same time, SBIs touched rupees 37 lakh crore or 37 trillion. So basically, uh, you have a small uh, finance bank, a small size bank like Equitas, uh, which will have to invest uh, millions of dollars in setting up infrastructure and reach. But Google already has millions of customers in India through Google Pay. So instead of building an infrastructure, which will take a lot of investment, you tie up with somebody like a Google Pay, and then you ask them to book fixed deposits on your behalf, the uh, deposits will be sitting on your technology bus and Google will be the front face. Now here's what happens. When a consumer goes to the GPay app's business section, he sees the Equita spot, which is similar to a QR code. This is among 400 other spots given to various other service providers such as food delivery apps, cab booking apps and finance service providers. Once a consumer scans the Equita spot, it takes him to the bank's website. He files some KYC documents online, chooses the tenure of the deposit and makes the deposit through GPay. All this happens in a matter of minutes. Once the transfer is done, 
the relationship shifts to Equitas and the customer's bank account from which the money has been debited. This is interesting because this is the first time a banking product, which is a core banking product, which is fixed deposits, has been taken and embedded into this application so that the user can now book a standalone FD and fund that FD from their existing bank account and not have to open a new bank account with Equita Small Finance Bank, uh, a savings bank account, which has actually been standard practice. And this is an industry first. And you also get really compelling interest rates of 6.35% if you're booking, say, a one-year FD. And you'll be able to book a fixed deposit for up to 90,000 rupees for up to one year long. And you fund that through a UPI transaction. So it's no different from making any other UPI payment within Google Pay. It is, you know, as simple and straightforward as essentially, I mean, we like to say it's as easy as buying a pizza online. That was Sahil Kini, co-founder and CEO of Setu, which, true to its name, builds bridges connecting entities such as Equitas and Google Pay. It does this through unique software connectors known as Application Programming Interfaces or APIs. Setu makes the procedure simple, but the implications are anything but. GPay has 70 million users in India. So through this tie-up, Equitas gets access to a customer base which is more than 17 times its own, while Google gets, that's right, data. Soon, other lenders may get on the bandwagon and promote their products on GPay. The inevitable shift is going to be from app-based banking where you had to digitally go to a bank's app to the bank itself bringing its products and embedding them seamlessly into any application wherever the user is already present. In other words, with the help of these APIs, an app such as GPay can turn into a marketplace for banking products with competing interest rates. This would make the customer agnostic to the lender and loyal to the marketplace itself. In this case, GPay. Now, digital payments Setu started with building APIs for bill payments across platforms, has moved to account deposit products and wants to be an enabler for functions such as eKYC or an electronic paperless mode of establishing the credentials of a bank customer. Another exciting prospect it's exploring is what it calls Pygmy Deposit, through which one can have frequent small bite-sized top-ups on his investments such as recurring deposits or even mutual funds. The deposits can be as low as, say, 100 rupees. So the Pygmy Deposit was a pioneering invention by Dr. TMA Pai, the founder of Syndicate Bank in the mid-1960s, when he noticed that his bank customers weren't saving enough. And therefore, he actually appointed a bunch of bank representatives to go from house to house, door to door of each of their customers and essentially collect a fixed amount into a recurring deposit at a set frequency. This could be daily or weekly or monthly. And if you're able to set, let's say, a UPI auto pay or a ENATCH mandate saying that let my account be debited by X amount, you know, at a given frequency, be it daily or weekly or monthly, and put that into a recurring deposit, we think that that could encourage fantastic saving behavior because really good behavioral economics is about setting good defaults. 
A great innovation, Kinney says, would be integrating these with the payroll providers in gig economy platforms for a food delivery executive or a cab driver with Ola or Uber. Every time a payout happens, the person can say, you know, please set 10% of my salary or my payout to go directly into a recurring deposit. And you can take recurring deposits and you can put another instrument in its place that could be, you know, mutual fund SIPs are essentially the same thing where instead of fixed deposits, you're investing in MFs. But you could also invest in, for example, uh, digital gold or sovereign gold bonds or different kinds of debt instruments or crypto even for that matter. After payments and deposits, tech companies are likely to venture into lending. In that, they may venture into rural areas where traditional banks fear to tread. The disruption that could likely happen is in the lending space. That is a space that fintechs are really eyeing. Banks uh, haven't pushed a lot of credit in the rural areas. For example, look at the entire microfinance sector. There are about 9 to 10 crore customers in all, and uh, they are hardly 10 to 20 percent of the rural uh, you know, population. Banks are uh, risk averse on lending to these rural customers because they have a lot of restrictions about what happens if the loans turn bad? Why would I only lend to this person unless and until it's a, a big market for me? But fintechs are very new, so their risk-taking ability is much more. We have spoken about how e-commerce has really penetrated the corners of this country, how UPI transactions are literally 100 times of debit card transactions. So that is the kind of scope that we are talking about. That is the kind of data mining that is happening in some of these uh, big tech firms, big tech firms who would end up tying with, you know, a local uh, direct service agent or a banking correspondent and then offer or a local mom and pop store, you know, and offer some of these services. So a lot of these things have to be considered on how it's going to pan out, you know, in the future, because lending is something where the disruption is yet to take place. The hunger for data is constantly growing. PhonePay, for instance, recently got RBI's in-principle approval to operate as an accounts aggregator, which enables it to launch a platform which has financial data of consumers that can be seamlessly shared between different financial institutions. Of course, with the customer's consent. Setu also is eyeing this space. Setu is uh, one of the early movers in the account aggregator industry. We've already applied for an account aggregator license and we are also an empaneled technology service provider in that ecosystem. So we think that that will truly become like the UPI moment for data and unlock a lot of these accounts that are harder to do today because you only have to depend, for example, on a credit score. So on data, enabling that free flow from all your existing accounts to other new service providers that might want access to that data is something that we're working on. And we're also working finally on the data piece on aggregating other sources of data. And this could be your PAN verification or your bank account verification or providing an electronic signature. So that through a single API integration, Anybody that needs to get access to uh, a user's data with the user's consent, of course, will be able to do so from multiple sources just through one integration with the C2 API. 
But this unbridled growth of tech firms and their spread into different domains of banking has led to increased concerns within India's central bank. In its financial stability report in July, the RBI said that the increasing presence of big tech firms in the banking space gave rise to important policy issues. It said, and I quote, Specifically, concerns have intensified around a level playing field with banks, operational risk, too big to fail issues, challenges for antitrust rules, cybersecurity, and data privacy. Let's look at what the RBI is saying in the financial stability report. They are saying that these sort of uh, big tech companies work across multiple lines on business and they may have opaque governance structures. Okay. Secondly is that they have the potential of becoming dominant players in the financial services market. And the third is that because of the entire network that they have, they could end up exploiting their position as a financial services player. RBI looks at it as a backdoor entry for uh, some of these companies to enter uh, the banking space without a requisite uh, bank license. So RBI feels that these companies don't want to comply with the banking regulations, but they are looking at some of these backdoor entries to come into the banking space and challenge incumbent banks. Okay, That is the concern that the RBI has. The central bank now is specifically said to have its eyes on the Google Equitas deal. Earlier, there was no mechanism where a Google Pay could collect deposits. We don't know what sort of commission Google Pay is getting from Equitas to collect uh, some of these deposits. And uh, as far as the rule book is concerned, uh, these commissions are not allowed. So the RBI specifically will be concerned about how these big techs are really entering into the space, collecting deposits on behalf of a bank and how the deal and the covenants play out. So that is the opaqueness as to what the RBI calls is that that is largely the regulator's worry. Even as the RBI works on a new set of rules to govern the entire digital banking ecosystem, some steps have already been taken. In March, the National Payments Corp of India, an association owned by banks that dominates digital payments in the country, said that a UPI operator would have to limit its share in overall transactions to just 30%. This is a mandate that would directly hit Google Pay and PhonePay, which each control about 40% of the market. In August, the RBI mandated no e-commerce player will be able to store its customers' credit card data. Also, last heard, the RBI has gone slow in the NUE licensing process, scrutinizing applications and giving further recommendations. While India is merely following a global trend of tech companies gradually creeping into the banking space and dominating it. Grab, which started in Singapore as a ride-hailing service, grew to a digital payments giant and recently acquired a banking license. Both Amazon and Apple have launched credit cards in the US. In 2019, Google tied up with Citigroup to offer checking accounts to customers. It was widely reported as its intended entry into the banking sector. The most significant story is that of Alipay, part of the Ant Group, the financial services offspring of Chinese retail behemoth Alibaba. Alipay started as an escrow account for sellers and grew to become the biggest e-payment system in the world. In 2020, Alipay handled close to $19 trillion worth of payments, more than 25 times of PayPal, its nearest rival outside of China. 
In December 2020, China's central bank asked Alipay's parent, the Ant Group, to rectify its businesses, saying it didn't have a sound governance mechanism and defied regulatory compliance. So we just had the news that report from the FT saying that Beijing wants to break up Alipay, the one billion plus user super app that's of course owned by Jack Ma's Ant Group. They want to create a separate app for the highly profitable loans business. To be sure, Google has always specified that its role in these transactions is that of a tech enabler, and that the financial institutions are front and center. A Google spokesperson in India shared an official blog post by its head of payments, Sajit Sivanandan. He said that calling tie-ups such as the one with Equitas, Google's offerings, fuels misrepresentation. So, what will India's central bank do? By most accounts. RBI is likely to play a balancing game between enabling the tech giants to grow and bringing them under certain regulations. Those are unlikely to be too stringent. It is going to talk about best practices that these digital lenders uh, should keep in mind and governance norms that the RBI is going to lay down. It is going to talk largely on interest rate disclosures, how much uh, interest rates are being charged, the tenure of the loan, if there will be any penalties levied if you fail to pay back, what would be the EMI duration. The other thing is that it specifically speaks directly to banks and NBFCs and it says that hey if you're tying up with uh, this particular digital lender then it is your responsibility to ensure that when this particular loan is given then it should uh, ensure all these specific dis- disclosures are met the RBI doesn't wish to directly regulate these companies but yes in a way it will be light touch regulation as they call it so it's a forward looking preemptive question that they have on how do we ensure that india retains its sovereignty and its control over its financial services ecosystem and so as long as these requirements are met i don't think that the regulator will have any objections then this goes into data security and privacy and making sure that data is localized data is encrypted and all these requirements need to be met you can leverage the distribution power of these international tech giants while ensuring that all requirements be it in regulation of compliance are also met so it's a fine balance but i think it can be can be achieved that's all for today folks you've been listening to the morning brief this episode was edited and coordinated by anjali venugopalan the sound edits and production were done by varun kapahi and swati joshi this podcast airs every tuesday thursday and friday do write to us at the morning brief at timesgroup.com to share feedback or tell us what you would want the next episode to be about until the next one good day all clips used in this episode belong to their respective owners credits are given in the description